There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business or, let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5K. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. Visit b21.io slash hustleshare and get $2 upon signing up. Also by Ideaspace, a nonprofit supporting innovation and technopreneurship as a path to nation building. Ideaspace runs an annual startup competition. For more information, make sure to sign up for their newsletter at ideaspacefoundation.org slash connect. Also powered by Podmetrics, the only analytics platform you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE. The most difficult part uh, in your journey is to let your baby go, <laughs> right? And, and this is something that entrepreneurs, are, in my opinion, are extremely bad at. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ron Sturbeet-Yong. Welcome to episode 108 of the Hustle Share Podcast. My name is Ron Stur, and I'm your host. And this episode is powered by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. We are a proud affiliate of the Podcast Network Asia, but before we begin, we'd like to remind you that this podcast contains not safe for work language. So make sure there are no kids when you're listening to this. Because today we're going to be featuring one of the biggest startups in wearable tech in Southeast Asia. And to talk about that, we'll be having their founder, Mr. Ilya Kravstov of Pouch Nation. 
before Ilya shares how they revolutionized the event industry in Southeast Asia, Ilya will share what it's like growing up around the world by traveling to multiple countries and learning to adapt in each country that he visited. And he's also going to share why he chose to settle in Southeast Asia to pursue a career in entrepreneurship. Now, Ilya's hustle wasn't easy because the first version of Pouch didn't pan out. And he will also share how he got back into the corporate world to actually learn more things that he can apply to do Pouch again. And this is where it gets interesting because Pouch did a big pivot from doing rewards to events. And Ilya will share how they were able to do that and scale that across Southeast Asia, despite having a lot of competitors. And just like most businesses, Ilya will share how they were directly hit by the pandemic and how they pivoted again using the same technology, but a different use case for contact tracing. Now stick around till the end because he also has a lot of good tips on how can founders become more even keeled for the ups and downs of startup life. So if you're ready to learn the hustle behind Pouch Nation, let's begin this episode right now. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Podcast. We are going international today because we're talking to a guy that I've actually met through parties. Uh, you know, uh, when they were the one responsible to really change the whole ball game of getting people in in big events, uh, uh, way back uh, in my previous startup or a couple couple of startups ago, Wishers Party File. But before I get carried away, let's welcome to the show Ilya Krabstov of Pouch Nation. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Like what I said before we press press record, it's been a while since I last saw you, and uh, I, I can't wait to to catch up with you. But before I get uh, started, I need to ask you the million dollar question, Ilya. Ilya, what's your hustle? Oh, my hustle. <laughs> well, if you run a startup, uh, you know <laughs> you're hustling every day. So obviously, now this year, I would say the the major hassle is to to survive this whole pandemic, right? And yeah. obviously. We are in the event space, so we know that events are the first ones to go and the last ones to come back. Yeah. So my hustle is really, really to survive that whole situation. Absolutely. And again, we'll, we'll talk about how you then change that ball game because you know of contact tracing and all that, which is totally amazing. That's also the reason why I, I reached out. Like, wow, Pouch just keeps on pivoting into the right direction. Well, most startups actually, or, or most companies, perish. But before before that, I need you to buckle up, my man. Because we're gonna ride the hustle share time machine. Wow. Yep. Right there in Jakarta now. But we're gonna go all the way back because um I wanna I wanna find out the the your origins per se of how you actually built your career. So um what did you where did you grow up and did you any have uh, have any experience of, of of being an entrepreneur or hustling uh, per se uh, early in your life? Well, uh, just a few words about myself. Yeah, so I grew up, I mean, I'm originally, I was born in Moscow, okay. um, Soviet Union at that, that time. You know, it's, mm. it's a country that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, I grew up uh, in Italy. So I lived in Italy for about 15 years. Okay. Uh, so wow. finished my finished my studies there in Milan and then uh, started my journey around the world. 
um, uh, you know, lived in different places, uh, starting from South Africa. I was based in Johannesburg for a couple of oh, years. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, then Singapore uh, was based there for a couple of years, and then you know that's what brought me in the first place in Southeast Asia was my ex consulting job, okay. and then yeah, been in uh, Southeast Asia since uh, 2010, so mm -hmm. almost for 10 years, right, across different countries in the region. Mm -hmm. Now I've I've known I've had I've also interviewed several people that uh, had a similar. Uh, lifestyle, I guess, who, who was well-traveled and picked up a thing or two in every stop that they get into. And again, make them very, very ad adept to change. Because if there's one thing about traveling and, you know, moving from place to place, you got to be you got to be able to really adapt quickly because if not, you're going to get uh, alienated pretty, pretty quickly. But for you, what did each stop give you? And what are the, the learnings you also took from each stop that you got before you decided, okay, this is, uh, I want to stay, stay put in this region? Well, look, I think, uh, you know, said there's it's probably very different stops, I said, from, from Russia to Italy to South Africa. And, um, and you're right, probably every time you, you change a place, you need to adapt pretty quick. You need to, you know, get to know people. You need to, you know, you need to survive and, and you know, and be happy, right? So uh, I think this is also what, you know, eventually made me, uh, brought me to the entrepreneurship and in, in in choosing that career because that's my daily life anyway, right? So I probably travel less and change less places nowadays. Um, but you know, every day I open my laptop, it's it's ups and downs, right? So, um, so yeah, every place was very different. Again, different cultures, you know, South Africa compared to Italy. But uh, you know, I find that at the end of the day, everywhere you go, you can find like-minded people, and as long as you're open-minded, you know, you get to know really, really cool uh, friends, and uh, you know, you enjoy it. So Ilya, that's very interesting because now you, you again, you, you, you've learned so many things. But one thing I want to highlight is uh, you stuck around in Singapore and being in Milan, being in, in Moscow, being in Johannesburg, you've been, you've been all around. But what made you stick around this time? What, are, what, what is it about Southeast Asia that made you, you know, uh, want to stay here for a long time? Actually, that's a very good question. I was wondering sometimes myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I think two, two main factors is that one, uh, when uh, I came to Southeast Asia, I realized that, uh, you know, the potential of the region uh, and specifically, you know, when I came to Philippines, Indonesia, those countries where, you know, we uh, have a huge potential of growth, uh, especially in the tech sector, right? So what I realized people are very tech savvy. Uh, but they're still, you know, behind places like China, like Europe, uh, and but the adoption rate is extremely high. So that one of the reasons which made me stay was that I was extremely interested in uh, in how this is all going to evolve. Um, the the second reason, I guess, it's it's age as well, right? So at a certain point, when you are in your twenties, you you know you want to change places all the time, and uh, you know you're not looking for that stability. Uh, in your 30s, is slightly different, right? You, you're looking for a place where you can, you know, kind of stay for a while, build your network, build your relationship, and grow as an individual uh, in general, right? So I think those are the two reasons why I stick around. All right, sounds good. Now, I want to understand, because there's a lot of people uh, that have been successful after Delta Partners stint that were forged via FI, the Founders Institute, right? For you... Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? And did you, when you joined FI, were you already 
uh, decided that, yep, all right, this is just uh, what I'm doing here is just technically, you know, uh, preparing myself to be an entrepreneur here in Southeast Asia. And what what did you take out of that experience out of FI? Well, look, I mean, honestly, you know, I started my entrepreneurial career. I was uh, was 27 years old. It was, uh, uh, you know, eight years ago. Right. So and uh, at that time, you know, I had a good experience in, in consulting already, okay. uh, but I had no idea about entrepreneurship and, you know, in general. Right. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like for me, uh, the first thing uh, when you start something new is to do your research and understand and, and build your network and understand what it's all about. Uh, and this is where I thought that FY was a, was a good kind of uh, first, um, you know, um, getting together with the community and understanding what's all about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that was that's that was uh, it served its purpose. I, I still have very good relationship with everybody who uh, was at FY back in 2012. We were a batch mm-hmm. two at that time in in, in Jakarta. Yeah. Um, but in general, just to, to let you know, I think uh, the reason of doing FI was always saying, okay, what can I do next? Shall I go to do an MBA or do a startup? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I want to do a startup. <laughs> okay. Well, why, why startup? Because I'm pretty sure, I mean, a lot of, uh, not, not, just, uh, not just I'm pretty sure, a lot of uh, listeners of Hustle Share are in those cross, crossroads right now. They're like, okay, where do I go? Do I go MBA or do I go startup? But what made you choose startup versus MBA? Because you know, a lot of people also choose MBA versus startup. It's it's uh, the the entrepreneurship is still easily the load. I mean, the road less traveled, right? Um, why so? For sure. Look, I mean, our bottom line, MBA is not not cheap, right? Uh, and yeah. uh, you know, you have a choice. You want to spend. I mean, it makes sense to do an MBA with if it's a good one, right? And a good one, you know, will cost you about a hundred k, right? Yep. So the question is, do you want to spend a hundred k in uh, in doing MBA and then you know exiting from it and starting from zero again, or you want to spend a hundred k in uh, you know trying your luck and and doing a business and learning probably you know same amount of. Uh, uh, if not more, right? So I kind of chose the later one. That's, I'm not that's saying absolutely. it is bad. I'm not saying it sure. is bad. It's just yeah. a choice. It's just not the same. It's not for me either. Um, it's something that, you know what? I'm going to learn all these theories, but the application part will take me X amount of years and I don't get to really get my feet wet because I'm studying how other people did it. Whereas I could Correct. have done it myself and pivoted, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of pain involved, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you already get your feet wet and get your feet wet. You did because uh, the next thing that you that you did was you head of the, you're the head of commercial strategy, and um, is it Axiata? How, how do you pronounce Excel Axiata. Excel Axiata. Okay. Excel Axiata. Well, well, what did you do there, and what did you now come in with having that startup mindset and the startup execution uh, coming in? Well, look, I mean, as I said, my, my first startup uh, was too early. You know, it okay. lasted for about a, a year and a half. Uh, okay. So, um, you know, we, we did the mobile loyalty at that time. And then uh, after that, basically, uh, you know, we were running out of money. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had to go back to, to corporate. And, um, you know, and then this is where I said, okay, uh, let me, you know, to go back to my ra- routes, which is, uh, you know, um, telecom operators this is what I was used doing in consulting. And then I came yeah. across uh, Excel Exeter, which is the second largest telco now in, in Indonesia. Yep. And, uh, you know, they, they offered me a good position. And actually, they liked a lot the startup experience that I had before, even though the startup failed. Um, so, and this this is also what I, what I think is the lesson for everybody who's listening is that, look, if you go into a startup, you know, for a year, year and a half, you fail, uh, 
you bring a, a huge experience with you, right? And and that experience is valued a lot by corporates nowadays as well, right? right. So don't think that, oh my God, you're just going to do a startup, your career is doomed, you're going to lose two years of your life. No, people value those years and they value your, your entrepreneurship spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what happened uh, to me. That's correct. And I don't know if you, again, the first time we met, I was in my first startup, which eventually failed. And I did that for six years. So imagine all the learnings that I got. And basically, uh, a good uh, you know, Magna Carta of what not to do because I pretty much did all the imaginable mistakes <laughs> <laughs> that I, I had to do. And then that helped me in the next startup, which uh, got acquired 12 months after. Um, so there, the, 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 the stuff. The, the ups contrast, and downs, yeah. man. Ups and downs. Always, correct, right? correct. So don't think that, again, the failure, you have to embrace it. And, you know, it, it's not uh, a period, right? It's always an ellipsis, meaning there's always a ne- next chapter. And the only time you really fail is when you stop. Now, I want to understand because uh, before we take our first break, um, I met one of your co-founders, Graham, uh, yeah. back then. And yeah. Graham, here in the Philippines, uh, the first iteration of Pouch that I remember because he was trying to hire me. <laughs> That's how <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 came, I, I came to know him. It was a reward system. It was a patch app, Correct. right? Correct. And of course, the one that really scaled was it's not uh, became Pouch Nation. But how did you come into the to play? Was that the uh, first iteration? What happened with the first version of Pouch when you guys put it out? Yeah. So as I said, basically the first version came into light in 2012, yeah. right? And um, we did that for about, uh, you know, like for, uh, for about a year and a half. Um, and then uh, uh, basically at that time it was a mobile loyalty uh, yep. using QR codes, right? So you download an app and then you'd go mm-hmm. to coffee places, scan a QR mm-hmm. code to get a loyalty digital stamp. And then Correct. once you have a few stamps, you can redeem a reward. So mm-hmm. I think the idea was great. And, uh, you know, if we would have done it like probably three or four years later, one of yeah. the e-wallets mm-hmm. in the Philippines would buy us for sure, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Whether it's, you know, Pay Maya or whether it's uh, uh, anybody else because we were doing QR codes at merchants, which is what they, you know, they started Eventually doing. Did, that. Correct. Yeah, correct. So, I mean, it was a great idea, but uh, obviously the problem of if you just go, you know, more B2C, uh, you know, you need a large amount of funding. And and this is where, you know, we struggled, right? And uh, we, uh, we, we raised some money, which was enough to acquire the merchants, but it was not enough to acquire the final customers and engage them. Right. And, and this is where we kind of we had a pause moment between the, you know, the, the first version and, mm-hmm. and the second version. This is where I joined the, the corporate just to get some money <laughs> into my yeah. bank. And, and in the meantime, we went, uh, you know, went to a drawing board and said, OK, uh, you know, how, what can we do? Right. And the mm-hmm. key challenge was to acquire customers. Right. And acquire yeah. them at low cost and explain mm-hmm. the product. And this is where the first we started actually engaging with events. Right, and this is where we started going to events and uh, yes. setting up a booth to to kind of have our app and make people download our app. But it was so inefficient, right? Because we had to pay to get the booth, and we could get activated maybe only like a few percentage of the people attending the event. Yeah. And this is what we kind of realized. So why don't we flip the model and basically instead of us paying the event organizers to capture a small piece of data, how how about we flip it where we provide something to the event organizer where they pay us and we mm. capture 100% of the data. Absolutely. Right? And that's how the second version was born. 
and convert them, you did. Because I remember big events like the, even the one that brought Kanye West here in the Philippines. That was you. That's correct. You know, that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Still one of the now easily one of the best festivals I've ever been to. I, I, yeah, those were fun days. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I remember during that festival, I was singing on every song that Kanye was doing that I didn't have a voice for a week after. That. <laughs> it was dope. And again, every single person going in and out was captured by you. But um, what I, before we take our first break, what was the main tenet? So you you saw that observation. You didn't want to go B to C. You want to be you go B to B to C because you go All to right. the brand to, to get the ca- yeah. capture the data. But before you even get to that point, there had to be an inflection point of that pivot that you did. Um, that you did. But in terms of what I want to get to here is how did you then tell the teams like, all right, guys, we got to change directions. This is the pivot that we're going to do. And what was that like? Look, I think uh, the, the, you know, and this is something that I tell a lot of entrepreneurs uh, when, when I meet them, the most difficult part uh, in your journey is to let your baby go, <laughs> right? And and this is something that entrepreneurs are, I, in my opinion, are extremely bad at, right? Because they, they stuck with an idea and they persevere with that idea and they never give up, which is great, which is that's their DNA. But it, this also leads them sometimes to banging their head against the wall with something that potentially cannot work, right? right. Uh, so I think we were in the same kind of situation. We knew that loyalty was not really working because it was too early days. And um, I think the moment is where we, we found an investor and the investor told us, guys, I like, I like the events. I don't like loyalty. So if you want to take my money, <laughs> you, you have to disconnect. <laughs> loyalty, right? And that was like, okay, sure. I mean, you know, there was no, no real choice. I think for that one, it, it, you know, uh, it was just like, Natural, right? so it was not necessarily our decision, yeah. uh, but uh, it was the right decision. But you landed in a gold mine, and wow, I, I saw the scale of how you guys did it. This fucking amazing. But before we do that, before we discuss uh, anything more, let's take our first break, and when we come back, let's talk about how you then scaled Pouch to Pouch Nation. Well, let's talk about that more after the break. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. 
calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We're still with Ilya Krabstov uh, of Pouch Nation, who then told us how they then pivoted from, you know, from loyalty, who was too early in the game. And I remember, yeah, it was very early because now it makes sense. But again, uh, a lot of startups, um, especially visionaries, see the future two, three, four years ahead of time. And then, you know, the right. laggards just come in. And now you fell into a gold mine into uh, you know pouch nation automating um, how people got into events through RFID technology now I want to understand um, so you got the the opportunity saw the opportunity and we saw the scale how did you grow the team because I saw you doing this not just in one country but all over Southeast Asia and doing that is fucking hard <laughs> Look, um, yeah, I mean, this is was kind of uh, the scaling part is, is is not easy, but it's also, uh, you know, it's fun to a certain degree because, uh, again, I think in Southeast Asia, there's, you know, the first stage, what we, you know, we call always the product market fit, right? Yes. And, you know, YC calls it always the product market fit. You need to get to that product market fit. And it took us, a, you know, a few years to get to that product market fit, wow. right? But, uh, you know, with uh, with the first version of loyalty and then pivoting, et cetera, right? But then once you get to that product market fit, you know that you have it, right? You know that, you know, people need your solution, right? So the question is, you know, how you scale and how you grow the team and how, and you cannot do everything yourself, right? And this is some other barriers that you need to learn that are also not easy. So, I mean, in our case, we realized that events was a very global market, right? So it would not make sense for us to go a lot to the secondary cities, you know, in the Philippines or, you know, in Indonesia yeah. or, or anywhere else, but it would make sense to cover the major cities, the biggest events, right? Because on big events, you make money, small events is tough, right? Oh, regional strategy. And um, and at the end, at the beginning, it was it was just so many so much traveling. <laughs> we right. were going like crazy, <laughs> man. We would, uh, you know, the whole teams would take all their devices in their boxes, and we would just travel just nonstop, right? Like sometimes we'd be on the road for a couple of months, wow. right? We'd go from country to country, executing events and meeting people and doing partnerships, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm -hmm. So that was like the first uh, part. But then you realize you need to put a structure. Right. And this is where we said, okay, once we have some traction in each market, we are going to, you know, put a country head and give them, give him a lot of responsibility and make him to be the entrepreneur for that country. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that structure of country head worked very well. Right. Mm -hmm. So we can, and this is what allowed me and some of my partners to step back a little bit and look right. at the bigger picture while country heads were the entrepreneurs running the business. Right. Correct. Um, so, 
So I think that, you know, different stages, probably at the beginning, you still need to go yourself, test it out, understand, but then inevitably you need to let it go a little bit and right. put a structure in. That's, that's true. And people don't understand. Let me just uh, chime in this a little bit. The events industry is one of the most stressful jobs ever in the world. Because, you know, people, think, right? people go to an event and like, holy shit, this is such the most fun ever. Like, dude, you don't know idea how hard it is to even just do one minute thing. Like, for example, entrance. It's so hard because a lot of people are idiots and they don't follow rules and they, they want to be treated like a VIP. And then not just that, the mental and the physical toll it takes in your body. One event per week is fucking draining. And if you guys were on the on the road for months, Dude, I, I can imagine the physical toll. I, that's why I have a bad hip. I have a bad back now because it's still, you know, you're from standing around carrying a lot of shit, always sweaty and all that, you know, and crazy in their condition. Especially in the Philippines, it's always raining. Look, I remember in 2017, I think I did myself, only myself, like 64 events. What? And, uh, you know, and majority of the events are, you know, overnight. So you yes. end up, you know, finishing like at 6 a.m. when everybody, you know, is just waking and up. And egress that you still have to do. <laughs> Holy shit. Right? It's crazy. Because you come in early, you do ingress, you know, probably. You're like the first five. one to enter, last one to exit, right? Exactly. Everybody's home already having sex, whatever the fuck they're doing. You're still <laughs> out there trying to fix and, you know, uh, go home. And then still report the day a couple of days after. Now, I want to understand, uh, Ilya the country head um, route that you did because I've seen startups also do this to, uh, to varying, varying um, successes. Uh, I mean, varying degrees of success. What the hell is yeah. going on with me? Um, some people do it right. Some people do it wrong. But for you, what are the things that made you think that or what you said that um, were, were right that worked for you? Because some other startup also fucked this up. I mean, look, I mean, for me, what we did is... Um, I think hiring the right people for the right job. And uh, I think what we did, we never really hired anybody from like job post or anything like that. Right. We hired people we worked with before, right. Who were event organizers, festival owners, uh, you know, uh, and they knew the job. Right. So I think in our, in our case, the challenge is that, you know, not everybody can sacrifice all his weekends by being in some remote locations in the middle of people getting drunk while you're working. Right. And, uh, and, and that is, that requires some special people. So I think we managed to find like a pretty special group and, uh, you know, have them uh, run the show. So I think that helped a lot. Uh, and again, it took time, right? It took time and it took a lot of personal time. So I'll tell you 2018, 2019, I did more than a hundred flights a year. Right. So like literally every two, three week, uh, days. Right. So, so it does take time, but you get there. You get there. Right. Now, I understand the unit economics. So, again, you said you had product market fit. What, how did you yeah. know, uh, based on your metrics and the unit economics, that you, this now is the right path to go? Right. Because coming from logistics where you can't even generate enough traction, or especially if it's a marketplace business, there's supply and demand. Now... I've seen you scale, and I didn't need to know the economics to know you were doing well. But in the economic side, how how did you how did you what what did that look like? 
Well, look, I mean, there's two things, right? So I think one thing is that we came from a, you know, a loyalty and F&B type of space where we were making really little, right? So we were making like a 50 bucks per month per merchant, right? And of course, you want to scale, you get like, you know, we had like, you know, seven, 800 merchants, but still it's a it's a lot of little money that you need to chase and it's the long tail right so after a while we were just like you know so fed up and chasing very little money right and uh, and we we said okay we want to we want to make sure that the business actually generates revenue right and Mm -hmm. and we said revenue is important for us because uh you know if funding doesn't come in we can rely on that right and uh, and and this is where kind of uh you know events made sense because in terms of going back the unit economics you know we we were selling a, a hardware product at the end of the day right, right? it's wristband with the rfid chip yeah. and sometimes in in markets that are probably less developed uh you know people understand more paying for a hardware product rather than a software product mm-hmm. <laughs> right uh, because you know hardware you touch it you feel it it's a physical thing right software right. sometimes people are like ah, i don't want to pay for software it's just mm-hmm. like some program right mm-hmm. <laughs> so they don't get it right um, especially in the early days. So mm-hmm. I think what we managed to do is we managed to charge people for that hardware and it ma- it was varying between one to two bucks per person. Wow. Um, and and that, you know, obviously on a larger scale, when you do events of 10,000 yeah. people, 20,000 people. That Imagine the type of money. Wow. That's amazing. Now, I want to also ask about competition because I know coming from the events industry, that when one thing works, people fucking try to yeah. do that as well. How did you keep competition at bay? Because I've seen, again, uh, big events like Echelon. I go to Echelon, it's still Pouch Nation there and whatnot. And keep competition at bay. The biggest events are run by you at the end of the day. But I'm pretty sure some people try to replicate. And again, go under your skin. How did you keep them at bay? Uh, look, many, right? So we, I think... Throughout the years, we had a lot of local players and international players uh, trying to do what we do. Uh, I think on on, uh, on local players, some new players that came in, uh, you know, they were not experienced enough. We've seen people running away from the events, deploying the tech <laughs> doesn't work, and and going into panic mode and just leaving, right? Like stuff running away, like oh, disappearing, shit. right? I mean, this is the worst thing you can do, right? Because this is also maturity, right? Like when you're yeah. standing there and you have a crowd of a couple of thousand people shouting at you because your system is down, you need to face it, right? And this yeah. is not for everybody. Um, but then what we I do, we, we so had. <laughs> We had also some international you know, guys coming in. You know the worst thing. This is let's just uh, sidetrack a little bit. The worst thing I've experienced because I did something similar, but I was using our app, right? Yeah. And it, we were doing well, but when there's just an influx, you know, there's one event that there was a stampede, and some of yeah. my team, my 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 team got ran over. A good thing they didn't fucking get hurt, but a fucking stampede, forty thousand people in one event. Holy fucking shit, right? It's crazy. Look, I can tell you. I mean, this is again sidetrack. Yeah. But in the, in the, you know in the more than whatever five hundred six hundred events we've done over the past years, I can tell you so many stories. Right. Some of them <laughs> will need to be censored. But uh, yeah. uh, I mean, we've seen everything really good and bad things. Everything yeah. from I would say yeah. human trafficking to yeah. um, you know to uh, unfortunately the, you know drugs. yeah drugs and all that and. Uh, you know, um, people doing some things that they should not do in public, and all right. of it, <laughs> all of it, and that's, right? And yeah. 
That's true. <laughs> that what that's one thing uh, that I got in events that I carry till now. Nothing really surprises me anymore. If I see some crazy shit like <laughs> I've seen worse shit before, <laughs> it doesn't phase me yeah. anymore. It's fucked up. The Not, events industry is fucked up, but it's fun. It's fun. It's very addictive. Now, okay, going back. Sorry for side sidetracking a little bit. So again, co- competitors, local players, uh, foreign players. Yeah. How did you keep them at bay? And then you know. And then we had a bunch, and then we had a few international guys coming in uh, from from Europe, um, you know, a, a couple of them, uh, and um, you know, trying to basically uh, push hard in this region because obviously this region has a lot of events. It's you know, yeah. summer all year uh, around, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not the same case for Europe or North America. And uh, I think that the key the key reason why we won is that we are the guys on the ground. Right. So, you know, these guys would come in, fly in, uh, do an event, fly back. Right. But from Europe, it's just not sustainable. Right. And, um, you know, we were always here, always present. And at a certain point, you know, they they were burning a lot of more cash than we were burning. Trust me. Yeah. I mean, our cost base is, you know, not that much because it's, you know, local stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. These guys were flying people from Spain and, you know, all that. And uh, at the end of the day, they just got tired of burning cash. Right. And, uh, and they helped us to open the market. For example, there was one international guy uh, player opened us Bali for us, and then uh, we 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 went, and you know all the clients migrated to us. So wow. I mean, competition is not always bad. Correct. No, and it's validation too. It's just a, ma- a matter of healthy competition and also volume. Because if it gets really saturated and your barrier to entry is too too low, then eventually right. you'll, see, you'll see yourself in a, in the red ocean. There, holy shit! It becomes a price war, and everybody loses. Right. Correct. But if it's a healthy competition where there's two, three players and there's enough fish to go around and to, for everybody to eat, then that's good. Look, I think eventually what I can give advice whoever is listening now to, uh, to us is that, look, I mean, whatever you build, uh, you need to kind of mind your mindset needs to be. I want to be number one or number two, whatever I do. Right. And, you know, you can be in a sector like e-commerce where being number one means that you need to raise billions of dollars mm-hmm. uh, or you, you can choose a sector which is a bit more niche where you need right. less money to be number one. But I think your mindset should be always number one and number two, because if you're number three or number four, uh, you know, it's going to be no good. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's correct. And at least in what what I, uh, I I tried to apply the same thing with with, with my own startups, the party file in terms of that app game. Actually, even till now, nobody's ever done it at the scale that we did before, right? Getting uh, access from you know clubs or festivals, whatever, and nobody's ever to fill that gap. Chatbot, again, we were the first. That's why we got acquired the first as, as well. And then now Podcast Network Asia, dude, scale. Again, you can replicate the same shit and put it in a different vertical and you know do better. And the same, same mind mentality. Don't go for the red ocean. Go for an ocean that's virtually untapped. It's a green, green field and fucking dominate. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. All right, now um, I want to understand. Also, uh, you said uh, you rolled over the profits and whatnot, but um, for fundraising, how did you do that? Because I, I remember several articles where you were able to now fundraise, uh, so at least to to help you grow faster. How did you able yeah. to do that? Uh, because again. From the first iteration, there you were technically in startup purgatory for three years, and then you found the product market fit. When that happens, a lot of money is going to come your way, not just in terms of revenue, but also in funding. 
Look, I mean, fundraising, look, uh, fundraising is not easy. And um, yeah. for us, it was not easy for one reason, right? Because a lot of people don't understand our industry, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I talk to, to VCs, <laughs> I remember. Uh, you know, VCs, yeah. they, I mean, nothing bad about VCs. This whole community would not exist about VCs, but they think sure. really in compartments, right? Like they think, yeah. okay, uh, e-commerce, uh, fintech. Uh, you know, something else. And then when I come and they ask me, what do you do? I said, I do payments. Oh, FinTech, great. But I said, but I do events. Oh, events, <laughs> payments. And, 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 and you can see that they completely don't know in which bucket to put you. Correct. And that, that basically, this is where the moment where that's it, all their models and all their calculations kind of start failing. And, um, and this is the challenge of companies like us, uh, that want to do something new. We don't want to go and do another e-commerce, right? And we want to <laughs> tap into the sector. And 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 the struggle is that not many people will understand you. Mm-hmm. So that one, that's one. The second one is that obviously we we wanted to grow fast, right? And and growth is important, right? Because I think no none of us here is to waste anybody's time. And uh, we we don't want to do one and two events a year. We want to do. 100, 200, 500 a year, right? right. Um, so, so that's where we had to push ourselves to uh, to the limit, right? And the limit is the following, right? You push yourself, you know, sometimes if you want to conquer a big brand, you, you know, you, you go like, you do give it cheaper price, you compete, you get it, right? And, and you push, you push, you push. And the problem is that obviously, you know, in this game, you become you know, less profitable and, uh, you know, you'll start depending on external funding, right? And, uh, and I have to say, there's so many times that we were really on the edge. <laughs> so this yeah. is off record. I, I don't think I ever told it in public, but yeah. I mean, it was like so many times that we were on the edge and having like no, no money left, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously what helped us is, you know, some revenue coming from events and then right. eventually being persistent. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, but the, uh, and the, so the funding was like that, right? Pushing it, pushing it, and uh, and trying what we realized that in our case, strategic investors made more sense. So eventually, we started shying away from VCs and really focusing on strategic ones. And this is where last year we closed the round with SPH and Traveloka, wow. right? Uh, Traveloka is one of the unicorns in OTA space that we are doing going towards experiences. Mm-hmm. So again, you need to understand also which invest- investors you want to target, right? So for you, every company is different. And SBH is not an easy fund to get into because huh? it's that's run by the Singapore government, right? And uh, oh, that's correct. But they're great. They're great. Very support to have to say. No, very, absolutely. Very but for you to get SBH money, that's mad props. That that means they saw something in you that they. Well, they were our client, man. As I said, oh, strategic. Okay. So we've worked. Very, we've worked. Is SBH is has a big arm that organizes events. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Sphere. And uh, one of the events is the largest beer festival uh, in Asia called Beer Fest yeah. Asia, which is based out of Singapore. And we've been doing that for like three or four years before they invested. That is amazing. Okay. So again, that's strategic. So that's also a good tip for, for startups who are, again, having a, having a struggle who to, to, to get BC money because, again, uh, things are usually compartmentalized and not their fault yeah. because that's how they run their models, right? But if yeah, you find yourself struggling with finding a VC that fits your startup, then look for strategic investors that have the same amount of money, plus also the opportunities that they give you that the VC can't give, right? Yeah. All right, That's now correct. you've pretty much told us everything uh, that, that you, you, you've been able to do in Pouch and you've done this at great scale, but the pandemic happened and this fucked <laughs> the whole thing up. Now I want to find out 
what happened to you guys and how are you guys pivoting again to to, to solve one problem that everybody is doing but let's talk about that more after the break Hey Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag Uno Ready Savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag Uno Earn or hashtag Uno Boost Time Deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag Uno Earn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. 
They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We're still with Ilya Kravstov, who then told us how the peak of, 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 of events through Pouch Nation again, which I remember through all of these stories that you told me, you know, um, there's so many flashbacks that I, I, I remember of, all of my life before. But again, that sounds like and seems like a distant past now because of this fucking pandemic that, that literally walloped. And the, one of the worst hit industries of, of this is events and live events. And that's where you got your bread and butter. Um, before we t- talk about what you did after that, um, I want to know how bad that hit you guys. Well, pretty bad. I mean, uh, we were, I mean, actually we started, I mean, what helped us that we started the year pretty strong and, uh, you know, January and February were our record months. Wow. And, uh, you know, and this year we, we was, was supposed to be like a very sweet year for us. Right. So okay. we are on track of, you know, and, you know, doing like 5 million in revenue and, uh, you know, we had contracts with formula one and things like that. Right. So, uh, so it was like, it was supposed to be like a really, really, really good year. Uh, because of all the work we've put over, you know, the past. And then, you know, uh, we start January really great. Then February, uh, okay, but slightly lower. And then March, it hit us, right? Oh, uh, so what we were lucky is that a little bit that we, you know, since we're in six countries, right, we managed to balance it a little bit, but still it was pretty bad. So I would say um, April, uh, May and uh, April, May, like zero revenue, right? Because everything was shut down, right? So, you know, and this was where we're like, okay, <laughs> with zero revenue, we got last long, right? right. Um, so basically in, uh, you know, in May, we had to go and take a decision. And there was basically two, I mean, we had three options. Mm-hmm. Uh, one option is to, uh, you know, hibernate. We hibernate everything and we wait until it passes. Uh, the second one was to, you know, um, try to reduce, but reinvent yourself. Right. Okay. Um, and the third one was, uh, you know, I don't remember what was the first one it was basically between reinventing yourself and hibernating. Right. So uh, some of our investors were pushing us like, guys, you should just hibernate everything. Uh, let everybody go and just wait. I'm like, wow, that's not my style. Correct, <laughs> Sorry, correct, guys. Correct. Again, right, and the, the ability to let things go is the sometimes the weakness of an entrepreneur because you know it's not it's not it's just not numbers it's not a spreadsheet only because there's people behind these and they rely on you you've went to war with them and it's not like I can just let them go it's like sorry I'll have a hibernate good luck right it's not like that yeah yeah no look and you know and no because you know what I fundamentally believe in the people that we have and uh, you know if, once you let these people go or you know you kind of break that kind of spirit then you know the company is gone because the company is made out of people right and it's not only me 
nowadays. It's it's everybody, right? It's our development team, which are amazing, by the way, based in the Philippines, right? Yeah. It's everybody, right? Yeah, big, big, uh, big shout out to the team. And um, and this is where we said, look, guys, uh, I mean, I said, the, the ones who survived this pandemic is not the ones who have the largest amount of cash reserves, but it's the ones who can start generating revenue again, right? And reinventing themselves. So that was kind of the philosophy I tried to push on the team. And uh, and then this is where the the new idea happened, right? Which is called Pouch Pass. There you go, Pouch Pass. So what is this? There's, there's no events, right? There's there's no such thing as that. But what is then Pouch Pass, and how how what what is it solved now? Is it the same technology? But what what's the application? No, no. Look, uh, basically, oh, okay. The whole idea was, uh, you know. Actually, you know, it happened that some of the guys were calling me, some of our clients, right? I remember like MotoGP from Malaysia called us and like, I was talking to the guy who's, you know, friend by now. It's like, you guys, what do you have in terms of product for this pandemic, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, well, why are you asking? <laughs> I mean, no event. <laughs> He's like, look, guys, I mean, you are doing crowd control, right? I'm like, well, yeah, that's one of our core products. And he says, well, isn't the whole world a crowd control now situation, right? Uh, because everywhere you go, it's a restaurant, a mall, you need to control your crowd and, you know, the, do the screening. It's the same as letting people go into an event. And this is where it kind of hit me and said, yeah, you're right. This is our core competency. And this is where it started, where I said, okay, our core competency is crowd control, is access control, is screening people and stuff like Correct. that, right? Correct. And he said, okay, we've been doing it already for, you know, five, six years using wearables, right? And what can we add to our wearables to make it more compliant with, with the current problems, right? And the current problems we know are two, right? Temperature sense, temperature measurement and yep. contact, right? Yep. So what we, what we did is we said, okay, how about we put a temperature sensor in our, in our band that mm-hmm. can monitor constantly your temperature, right? Mm-hmm. And as well as a Bluetooth that can help you to trace, you know, your where you've been, who you've been in contact with, right? And wow. this is where the new product got born, right? Mm-hmm. That's amazing, and I can, that that's true because I can't remember how many times I've gotten a headshot using that uh, that remote um, thermometer that all these security people <laughs> aim at my head. Like every single time, it's like I was like, well, I, I, I'm I'm lucky this is not a gun because I would have been dead so many times over, but. You know, um, that's that's absolutely true. So from this point on, is it the same strategy that you then deploy this through a company or is it a more B2C approach? Because that's correct. Uh, it's contact tracing and temperature scanning. That's what it, every yeah. establishment you go to, regardless of how small or big it is, that, that's the barrier. But how do you yeah. then scale this up? Because if this can be automated, then it's one step going to being normal again yeah look i mean what we did is actually to be honest with you we we tried something new as well right we knew that in b2b space there was a big opportunity we knew that Uh, but we also knew that b2b takes a bit longer in terms of sales cycles and you know and it's a bit less so we said okay we want to do both b2b and b2c and for the b2c side we did something a bit exciting for us uh, which was the first time I was doing. Uh, we did a, uh, we put it on the Indiegogo crowdfunding platform. Oh, right? wow. Yeah, so we said, look, how can we get as much exposure on our product in the shortest amount of time globally, right? Okay. And, uh, you know, and the best thing you can do is you either put it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, 
right? And uh, and that's what what we did, right? So the product went live fourth of August on Indiegogo, and that what gave us massive amount of exposure in terms of like worldwide, mm-hmm. right? So we had like people contact us from you know uh, Europe, US, South America, South Africa, nice. Australia, and so on, wanting the product, right? And again, I, I'm not surprised because you've been through worse before, you know, for the first iteration of Pouch. Resilient, man. Cockroach. Correct. The cockroach startup, man. That's what it is. So now this is a new, it's just a new game for you to, again, iterate and, you know, you killed it right off the bat. So that's amazing. Now, um, uh, I want to understand several things. So let's pay it forward to startup entrepreneurs before we plug how you can uh, reach out to Ilya and get that pouch pass for your business or your or whatever you're into. But before that, I want to ask you. So you've been through so many ups and downs, right? Ilya? Yeah. Um, yeah. Personally, how do you keep up and how, how do you then manage and what's your advice for entrepreneurs in managing the ups and downs because again especially now in the pandemic it's extremes that people feel right how do you keep up uh what's your secret at least uh in handling these uh predicaments yeah look i think for me it's i would say you know it varies a lot i mean you know i know some entrepreneurs like you know get uh, really you know good support from you know shareholders and etc uh, you know, it's really various from a lot. It depends also how lucky you are and, you know, how well you go with, you know, people that surround you. I think for, my, for me, it's mainly two things, right? So uh, obviously I have an amazing, you know, founding team and, you know, uh, management team, right? And uh, I think, you know, we've, we've been through so much together <laughs> over the past many, many years. That's right. And, uh, That's we, right. We, you know, in the moments where we've all, all of us feel down, right? I mean, it's just sometimes you're like, you know, you have a few bad days in a row and you just cannot make it anymore, right? And, right. you know, and this is where we, we call each other and, you know, just, you know, look at the bigger picture, right? So I think mm. for me, it would not be possible to, to get where I am without, you know, the guys and girls <laughs> in, our, in our management team that's surrounding me, mm-hmm. right? Be- because, because they took away so much mental pressure away from me, right? Yeah. Uh, because if you're a sole founder, you have everything is, is concentrated on you and this is where you really can freak out, right? Yep. Uh, if you have three or four people that you can fully trust and are competent, yeah. they take away a little bit of that stress right. away from you. And you, you carry the weight together. Correct. So I think that's one. Um, the second thing I think what is important for me and personally, right? I mean, honestly, I mean, yeah, there is people say that sometimes inter- there are entrepreneurs that start businesses for several reasons, right? Uh, one, they start a business because they want to solve a problem, right? They really feel about the problem because they want to solve. The second one is because you know they they um, they are experts in something like uh, AI experts, and they want really want to build on something that they're experts in, right? Right. The third one is like when they really want to make money, right? Yep. So I want to be, because I really want to make a lot of money, right? Yep. And I think the fourth one is because they, you know, they think that they can learn a lot by being an entrepreneur in different fields, right? And to be honest with you, I think I belong to that latest one, right? Mm-hmm. I would, um, you know, if I would be doing it for money, I would probably already change a lot of different things, <laughs> a lot of different mm-hmm. companies, right? Just okay. to be more opportunistic. Um, you know, I, uh, and the thing is like, what I do is I constantly learn, right? Like doing a crowdfunding platform, uh, doing this, launching a new product. And, and this is what helps me to move on, to be honest, right? I know that I'm not wasting my time. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're incentivized by the things that you want to learn. 
Yeah, right. and this goes back to where I started. I remember that kind of things. Do you want to do an MBA? Or you want to start a startup, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I always seen it as a, as a learning opportunity and I probably still see it. And that's why I still do it. That's correct. Because again, eventually, you know, um, also priorities change depending on where, where you are in your life, right? But if it's learning okay. always, that's a constant. There's always new things to learn as an entrepreneur. And maybe, I guess, I'll, I'll empathize a little bit. Yes, the learning is there. But more than anything, at least from my point of view, is being in control of how you fucking do it, right? Without having that's to... That's very, right? very true. Very true. Because I mean, I, being being able to say, you know what? I'm going to do a crowdfunding platform because I want to do it. <laughs> exactly. Without having to ask permission, like, hey, can I fucking do this? Like, no. Like, if I feel like doing it and I think that there is a logical benefit to the business and I can live and die with those results, then so be it. Because if I live, then great. Perfect. My assumption was true. If it fucking failed, then what did I learn here? Yeah. You know what? One thing I always say is that you can never blame anybody else for if you're an entrepreneur because everything is in your hands, right? And and this is something very important, right? At the end of the day, if I fail, I don't blame my shareholders or my investors because they haven't given me more money. I cannot do that because it's on me to procure money, right? right. Um, I cannot blame them because our sales are down, right? So I think it's very important to to have that mindset that it's all on you at the end of the day. Obviously, you need to have help, but uh, you know, you're know you you're crafting your own future, right? Correct. You're in control. You're your driver's seat. And at the end of the day, the yeah, bucks... You either like it or you don't do it. Correct. <laughs> right? correct it's correct. also very, very simple. If you don't like it, you don't do it. That's because, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. That's true. And again, the buck stops with you. Now, um, let's go hindsight 2020 here. If, if Knowing what you know now, is there something that you would do differently on certain things that you did before? Um, because again, at the end of the day, we fuck up. We, there's a shitload of things we fucked up on. But for you, is there something you would do differently a little bit? Well, look, I think, uh, you know, difficult to say. I would say, uh, in general, I never really regret my choices because, sure. you know, at that moment, I always think it that way, right? Whenever I take the decision, for me, it's very important that I, at that moment in time, I balance all the pros and cons, right? And I think about it. And then I take the decision, right? The decision is never right or wrong, right? We never know, right? So what I always think is that, you know, as long as I think about it at that point of time, and as you know, in considering the information that I had at that point in time, then, you know, I did the right thing, right? Because I thought about it, right? The problem starts when you don't think and you go with the flow, right? Uh, so this is what I always encourage also all other entrepreneurs to never really just go with the flow, right? But just, you know, do give yourself a checkpoints, right? right? After one month, you know, checkpoint. Are you doing the right things? Thinks about it, pros cons. You know, you want to change? Not if not, then okay, move on, right? So, bottom line, I I don't regret anything. Obviously, there were some hard moments, right? We 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 had to let some people go, right? And for me, this is very you know emotionally tough because I do get attached a lot to people I work with, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and this is something that. You know, sometimes it is inevitable because I run a business, yeah. so I have no other choice, but it's not easy, right? That's so true. obviously, if the pandemic would have been different, if we would have, you know, uh, done something different, maybe we could have retained some people, but at that point in time, it was impossible to, to predict, right? All right. Now, uh, thanks for all of that. Now, I want to know what's next. So you have Pouch Pass, you've done Indiegogo pretty well. 
what's next? Because I'm pretty sure a lot of people want to reach out to you now. It's like hearing them, hearing your story and how you've then innovated from where you come from. What's next and how do they reach out to you in getting that done? Well, look, I mean, next we, I mean, obviously we start seeing some of our core business also slowly like coming back, right? Like Thailand, Vietnam are pretty okay now. There's no cases. So we just did an event in Thailand last week in Patia, nice. right? So yeah, so it's, it's, it's slowly happening again. And, you know, when things are recovering, the need for our technology is even more, right? Because right. we are all contactless, cashless, you know, and you don't need to touch anything. Everything is streamlined. You track the data, you know, who entered, who exited, the capacity and all that, right? So I think on the core business, you know, I do believe that our services will be more and more required in the future. Uh, on this new uh, pro product that we have, the temperature sensoring, uh, we are really, you know, going deep there and also trying to work with organizations, especially with HR departments on how we can, you know, make sure that we uh, follow, you know, uh, health of employees, right, in general, right, whether it's just tracking their temperature or also tracking their, you know, mental status, how stressed they are and so on and so forth. So that's probably a little bit the direction we're going there. Um, so in terms of, you know, reach out to me, look, guys, I think the best way, I'm quite a big fan of LinkedIn. Yes. So if you, yeah, if you put Ilya Kraftsov or Pouch Nation uh, mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, you'll definitely find me. I'm very responsive there. I post a lot of stuff and now there's the new feature of stories on LinkedIn, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, so that's the best way to reach out. Absolutely. We're not on Snapchat. We're not on Instagram. The OGs are in LinkedIn. Again, Ilya, thank you very much for being in Hustle Share and sharing your story. But before I let you go, Ilya, again, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Just uh, do that. And if we did say some jargon, don't worry because it's going to be in the show notes in hustleshare.com. So you don't have to Google whatever you're listening to. So just go there. And lastly, if you uh, want to grow the, the podcast with us, it's going to be in the Hustle Share community on Facebook. And lastly, messages on our Hustle Share chatbot at m.me slash hustle share powered by chatbot ph. Again, Ilya, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. it. Was great I'll see chatting. you guys in the next episode. Peace.